Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? We are actually still in our apartments, but I will say that I did eat at a restaurant yesterday. That's amazing. That's amazing that you're like, yeah, that you're going back to normality. I I really enjoyed it, and I was very surprised to myself that I didn't go to a restaurant today. I think yeah. that I'm just so used to staying at home. Like that's my thing now. Actually, you started about the about it yesterday. I forgot to ask you. You want us to record like face to face. Well, at some point we will do that, and I think the very near future, not this weekend, but soon. Hopefully. Uh, the what? Is the cinch open? It should. I didn't pass by, but it should. But probably will force you to uh, to buy some food. To buy a like two week old spring roll. Probably, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like like Mr. Beans. Uh, okay. What did we watch today from our homes? Today, <laughs> we watched uh, the two. Th- no, not 2000. The 1990? Yeah, 1991, I guess. Maybe so we broke up season two into two parts. Today we're going to talk about season two, episodes one through nine. Inclusive, yeah. Yeah, as they actually close the main arc of the story of this show. Or, yeah, or so, or so it looks. Or so we think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I think that you summarize, you summarize the last one, maybe I should summarize this, but it's like, once again, it's, there is a lot of stuff that happens. A lot. A lot of stuff, and most of it defies description, I feel like. So let's talk about how David Lynch stepped away in season two, right? He's still an executive producer, but he didn't direct any of these episodes. I feel like... No, he directed he directed the first two episodes and the last episode. Of the season, not, not episodes one through nine. Exactly. Okay, got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> the season, the season, something that this season does is like, it tries to make things at work through stretching them out more than needed. And that's exactly how it opens. It's like we see at the end of the first season, uh, Agent Cooper getting shot. And then for the first five minutes of the second season, we see him like just bleeding out in the ground. While there is like the room service guy just brings him like some milk. A very, very old, old, a worker who's he's not there that scene upset me so much i wanted to fast forward it it, it was so uncomfortable i was like how long are, are they gonna make this go yeah they're just trying to make it like uncomfortable to watch you know uncomfortable to see like someone bleeding on the ground saying like please could you call a doctor and the guy is like, just basically ignoring everything that he says and when he leaves he gets visited by a ghost giant <laughs> They just give him like completely random and critical information about like these things are going to happen to you. Um, yeah, it's very, very cryptic. And he says, these three things are going to happen. And then he says, I'm going to take your ring and I will give it back to you once these three things have happened. So later, Agent Cooper recovers and he is wondering, was this a dream? But his ring is gone. So we have to mm-hmm. assume it's real, right? Yeah. Did you realize if he had a ring in the first season? Because I didn't. I didn't either, no. <laughs> so uh, then the show, he gets like rescued and, uh, uh, well, rescued, yeah, I think, I don't necessarily remember, but it's like hours later, Andy and other people, because they're trying to call him from the police station, they just go to the hotel and they just find him still like, just unconscious, but bleeding out in the ground. Because he was on the phone with the completely inept deputy Andy? when he gets yeah. yeah, Andy. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we have. <laughs> We have, I don't remember exactly what point we are in, is that we have Sally recovering in the hospital. We have Leo, I'm going to be like going over different different characters and like their storylines. That is like Leo, we have him like recovering from getting shot by Hank, that is uh, Norma's husband that just went out of prison. My God, so much happened in this. In the, the first nine episodes of this? Yeah, so he doesn't recover consciousness. He's going to remain as a vegetable. And as uh, Sally is having an affair with Bobby, Bobby convinced her to just keep Leo as a vegetable home for just getting like an, a pension for for taking care of him. But that's but, in like the last three episodes, right? That's what happens. I think that it happens on the third episode, from the third to the ninth. We see them like just being unhappy taking care of Leo. As, as Sally needs to leave her job for just taking care of time. I'm very happy that you told me that David Lynch directed the first two episodes because I was furious at whoever direct. I thought it wasn't David Lynch. I was furious at the person who directed episode one making me watch Agent Cooper bleed out like that. I was like, fuck you. Like, no, I don't want to watch this. But if it's David Lynch, I'm like, okay, like, I get it. There's something artistic about this. Let's. That sounds a bit biased, I would say. It is. Completely biased. 100%. Yeah, but uh, what I could say that this second season does, you know, is like leaving just Leo behind, you know, on the side. Uh, We also have Audrey that is uh, like being kept hostage in the uh, one hijack. The brothel that her father owns and her father tried to fuck her as like the new girl without realizing that it was her, which is so fucking disturbing. Like, I I don't think that that would fly on network television today. Oh, no, definitely not. You know, it's like, I'm not not even sure if it actually flew pretty well back then because this was ABC, we said? Yes. ABC. So I'm just saying, ABC standards even on that time on the 90s, I think this was like a very like pushing the envelope and maybe they gave it because as as you said it's like well it's David Lynch you know you have to give it some credit I keep wanting to call my mom and my dad and be like did you watch this in 1990 like what what was it like to see this on the on the television because yeah. it's it's out there I'm still blown away that this was on um, like regular network television and not on cable because yeah. the things that are seen here they're pretty experimental and kind of out there. To this day, I don't think Twin Peaks could show up on any like ABC, NBC, CBS. I don't think that they would they would try something like this. Do you? Well, but last time you actually compare Desperate uh, Housewives to this. Yes, and since that, I've been continuing to watch Desperate Housewives, even when I should have been watching Twin Peaks episodes. <laughs> and I love Desperate Housewives. It's super compelling. It's a good show, as we agreed. But it's not like... Um, I would call Twin Peaks dangerous. I would call it experimental. Twin Peaks doesn't do any of that. They have the dramatic soap opera elements, but they play it pretty safe. Yeah. Where. Twin Peaks is, it is experimental. It is kind of out there. Yeah, but I think that it's not only that it's like ABC right now is 100% for the family. It's like it's family oriented, you know? But I also think that the 90s, they were, and the late 80s, they were more friendly with experimenting on TV, you know? They were more friendly with it. Like, this doesn't have to be like the biggest TV show ever. Even we're talking about the X-Files that it aged like pretty poorly, is that that was on network television. It was on Fox. Yeah, that's true. I mean, X-Files was very experimental and and the things they showed were kind of... Yeah. You know, I think that what you were talking here is a bit more, it's okay, we're talking about a woman, well, a girl, a 17-year-old girl that she actually died after being raped by multiple people. 
and she had a, like a heroin addiction, and she had a dead wish, and actually was murdered by a spoiler alert. But if you're listening to this, is that you see this coming? You were murdered by your father. That he was possessed by something. Okay, so let's talk about that. We jumped right into. We finally discovered who murdered Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. We found out that it's Leland, her father. Leland is supposedly possessed by an evil spirit named Bob. Bob, we've been aware of from the beginning, almost. Mm-hmm. As you watched it, did you believe that he was possessed, or is that more metaphorical that her father is a piece of shit that ended up murdering his daughter? No, I mean, I, you got to think that this is not the first time that I watched the show. So it's like for me this time, it's like I was already like just speaking like the specific signs about like the father. It's a bit weird. On the first season, not so much, but after he kills uh, Jax Renault, thinking that he's like the real killer of uh, of Laura, and he wakes up with the white hair, is that for that point, he has gone insane completely. So there's there's an interesting plot line in Desperate Housewives, you might be surprised, where Brie Vandekamp, who is completely anal retentive, her husband was murdered, she fell in love with the man who actually murdered her husband without her knowing, and she sees a therapist who she tries to talk to and she's like, don't you believe in evil? And he says, no, there's no such thing as evil. There's whether people have mental health or whether they don't. And so when I was watching Twin Peaks, I was watching the episode where we discovered that Leland is Bob. And I think David Lynch wants us to believe that Leland was possessed, but I saw it from a much more pragmatic side where I was like, no, Leland is sick. He has a sickness, he murdered his daughter, he has a sexual obsession. What did you take away from, I think it's episode seven. And again, we're we're reviewing episodes one through nine of season two. Yep. What was your takeaway from that season where we discovered that Leland was responsible for Laura Palmer's death? So, what was my feeling? Or if I agree with you that maybe there was like some kind of sickness in Leland and there is nothing else? I'm asking what your reading of that was. Do oh. you think there's like an actual supernatural aspect yeah. to it that Leland was you Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, 100%. And that's one of the reasons why I was telling you that date, this storyline ends, is that they have been like setting up the stage from the beginning of the show for there is something else. You know, they mentioned on the first season when they, when uh, uh, Cooper goes to the red room and he has this dream, is that they are like setting up, there is like something that they talk about, like the wall, and someone mentions the Black Lodge. And now on this season, there are like other mentions about like that is that they have been talking about like there is more than it meets the eye so the series and this is one of the things that they didn't play too well because there was like pressure from abc they shouldn't have revealed that Leland was the killer they should have kept like just this kind of a slow pace uh introducing concepts in the background you know like supernatural concepts without jumping 100 into it that is the feeling that i have in this second season is like everything goes weird in the second season compared with the first one and pretty pretty fast i will say that in season one when sheriff truman introduces special agent cooper into their secret society Truman is, he says something like, there's something evil in these woods, you might not believe it, but there's something evil here. And I was super intrigued by that. And I was like, let's explore that. But then as the episodes went on, you came to realize, oh, there's nothing supernatural about this. They just want to fight the drug dealing to teenagers that's happening in their town. And I kept waiting for the supernatural aspect. And I feel like they didn't reintroduce the supernatural aspect until the giant Bob. well yeah yeah no the giant was definitely like out there and yeah. i love that scene. i loved it a lot yeah so i think that uh probably initially there was a different kind of vision about like doing something similar to the boiling frog situation about you know it's like if we keep adding like a small stuff in a very slow pace with this kind of quirky that, that everything else that we see is normal, but it's like if we keep adding like a slow, like weirdness to it, it's like at what point can we go full weirdness? 
And that's the problem that I have with the change from the first to the second season, that I think that that's the pace on the first season. That is like, ah, you know, there's like some stuff that is weird, there is this dream, and in the second season it's just completely Oli, you know, saying that no, 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 what it's going to be the differentiating and selling this show is this. And then you stop exactly at the end of episode nine. No? I did, yes, yeah, yeah. There is more. There is like way more. They keep like just evolving all of that. So I think that from the perspective they were trying to say is like Bob and Mike. Yeah, Mike is the other one. The one arm, one arm, yeah, one arm man. Is that both of them, they are evil creatures for this Black Lodge, you know? And they used to just enjoy killing people and they were inhabiting humans. So I, I completely accept your reading, but is it literal where there's just these sexual psychopaths, these sadists that want to murder girls, or is there a supernatural element? I, I couldn't reconcile this with me because Bob or and and what's the name of the French guy? The Canadian French guy? Jax? That's been murdered. Jax Renault? Yeah. Like, is there something more to them just being bad people? I don't think there is, but then the show continues on to have these supernatural elements and it doesn't reconcile with me. Like, are we supposed to believe the giant is completely like from this other world and he's prophesying to Agent Cooper? Or are there just like some sick son of a bitch, son, sons of bitches in Twin Peaks? I would just tell you, if you are like just having a problem reconciling it and you want to just remain on the reality, the show becomes like weirder and weirder. And the third season, I can just tell you that like, if you don't embrace this at this point, the third season is not going to fly at all. <laughs> at all. Well, again, I'm very glad you told me that David Lynch directed the first two episodes of season two because I I was a little bit pissed off where I was like, wow, there's people that think they understand David Lynch and they want to take the story to these very dark places. But David Lynch doesn't do that in season one. He doesn't. It, it remains very like planted in reality. Yeah, grounded in reality. And then in season two, all of a sudden it was like, everything's crazy. Yeah, and that's my main problem. It's like I didn't remember like that distinctive kind of shift, you know. But it's like it's so drastic, so on your face that it's like uh, it's almost like you're trying to make like a statement, you know. And that's what makes me think that it's like maybe at the beginning he was thinking that look, maybe I don't want to, you know, ever say that it was Leland who killed Laura Palmer, and I'm going to be like just stretching it out as much as I want because it's not about. Is not about that only. I think there is a bit more about like the building that he's trying to just display. The crazy supernatural world that is behind this small village. Okay, I can accept that. And I will say that uh, you had seen season two. You've seen all three seasons, right? Yeah. So up until we started to watch this, I had seen season one and I've seen a couple episodes of season two. I will say that I was completely blown away when we discovered that it was Leland who killed Laura Palmer. I My jaw dropped. I was like, holy shit. And my reaction, I think, is a testament to the strength of the show mm -hmm. and the storytelling behind it because I was so invested that I was devastated when I found out it was <laughs> I think, Yeah, I think that when I watched it the first time, yeah, I was also devastated. And this is not, the thing is that this is something that you are never going to forget. So I'm pretty happy that you got to see this without it getting spoiled. Yeah, and I, it, it was completely unspoiled. I had no idea. Up until that episode, I was very, I, I really thought that it was the French Canadian that murdered her. I thought I thought everything was solved. And then I saw this and I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> well, or maybe it was Leo. I think that the first time that I watched it, he said, okay, it has to be Leo. Everything points to him, you know, and besides that, like, it's so convenient that he uh, goes into a coma and he's not going to recover. But he's like, it has to be Leo. And I will say that I'm very interested to see where the Leo plot goes, because 
again, we're, we're reviewing episodes one through nine. At the end of the ninth episode, Leo has been shot. He went into a coma. He came out of the coma as a vegetable, right? And he's moved into the home that he shares with Shelly. Shelly is obviously dating Bobby. Yeah. She's cheating with Bobby. And so now they're in this very claustrophobic home where they're questioning whether or not Bobby is lucid or not. And that is the storyline that I'm most interested in watching the rest of the season two episodes. Yeah, I... (laughs) I don't know, I find it like so, so soap opera and not in the good kind of sense, but I can say that I'm more interested about Dio and, and knowing what is going to happen to him than with Nadine being back a teenager. Can I just say that I'm super annoyed with that plot line? I'm oh, yeah. super annoyed, like, oh, she comes out of the coma. And she's a teenager now. She's 18, yeah, as if that were a thing. It's not a medical condition. People don't like come out of comas thinking they're younger than they are. Yeah. But this also, I want to say how pissed off I am with the like sudden appearance of this. I think it's Japanese. Is it Japanese or Chinese? Asian. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but this this Asian character appears. As a man, it's so clearly not a man. You can see the breasts on this person, and they're pretending to like. Oh my god! I got super upset with that plot line. Yeah, I gotta agree that is, that's another like kind of soap opera, like bad soap opera level kind of thing about like oh, it's big reveal. I mean, you already know at this point that is a. Is Catherine that she didn't die and she actually just came back for just plot her revenge about, against uh, Ben Horn and something that I don't know if you realize, but it's like Ben Horn is supposed to be married to someone. Yeah, but we never see her, right? Oh, we don't see like his uh, mentally challenged kid. And see, so I, up until we we started this recording, I thought that David Lynch completely stepped away creatively for season two. So now you're telling me that he directed season, or sorry, episode one and two, which is great. I love them. But I feel like if you look at season one, there's a lot there that I think is very true to David Lynch. There's the soap opera aspect. There's the slapstick aspect. Um, But I feel like once season two gets started, it just like kind of floats away from what David Lynch had intended. And there's kind of these absurd aspects without the like underlying like feeling of menace that he wants to feel, that, he, that David, Lynch, David Lynch wants us to feel. And I feel like the show kind of loses its, it loses its appeal because it's like so out there. <laughs> And also that, like, David Lynch, he he has the supernatural aspect, but in season two, they take it to this next level, but I don't think that's authentically David Lynch. I think they're just like, oh, there's this popular show on television, and it's it's weird, and uh, and we're going to take it to the next level. Do you understand what I'm saying? It just, it's like, it, it took it to this next phase that doesn't feel... Authentic. Yeah, I I see your point, and I don't completely disagree with it. I think that, uh, as I was saying, is that this was designed as a bit more of a slow pace or a slow burn kind of show. And I think that he had like a lot of pressure from ABC for just speeding it up. And is that you have to give us who killed Laura. You have to give someone. We cannot keep stretching this show forever. And but was that pressure on David Lynch, or was it on the showrunners who kind of took the show after season one and was like, yeah, we're going to turn this into 25 episodes? Uh, well, the show is not close after the second season. Well, yes, I mean, they had a third season, but... But it remains completely open, you know, it's not like other shows that they say, okay, this is our last season, so we're good. Is like in this case, it was a bit more of a. We didn't know if there was going to be a third season back then or not. Well, we people didn't know, and is that they didn't least decided to left everything completely open. At that point. 
So are you telling me that the resolution of season two is going to be completely unsatisfying? Oh, I, I got to say that that I think that David Lynch had quite a bit of fun writing that episode and directing it. Because I'm pretty sure that it was... Would you say, and again, I haven't seen season two. Well, I have now up until uh, episode nine. Would you say that season three resolves itself in a satisfying way? It resolves itself. So it's not like open-ended, like there might be a season four and five. I, honestly, it, it gets resolved in a, in a way, in a David Lynch way. <laughs> Do you know, it's like, it's not, I mean, if you think Mulholland Drive doesn't have really a resolution because the resolution is the beginning per se. But like, if you analyze the story, it's like it has a resolution. It's not a happy resolution, but it's a resolution that it closes everything. That is that like nothing else can happen with Naomi West because she just shot herself. <laughs> If you think about uh, Lost Highway, there is no real resolution. It's just a story, a cyclic story. But in Lost Highway, I wasn't interested in a resolution. I was like, I'm going to go on this crazy story with David Lynch. I don't care where he takes me. It doesn't matter if there's uh, yeah. a conclusion. But with Twin Peaks, it's, it's different. Like, I want to understand where these characters are going. What's, what's the end point? Do I ever get that? You get, you get something, you get something. Yeah, they go, they go somewhere. Let's <laughs> just leave it there. I think it's funny. I, I, I almost, I, I'm just tempted to just write a post-it about like this specific topic of the conversation for just showing it to you when we are done like the third season. About like, do you think that this, that what I told you was true or not? Um, but yeah, I am, I understand what you mean. For me, it's like it's still. I still think that there is some kind of value. I love this kind of secret world, or you know, like different realities that there is like a pure evil one, and there is some liquids through the through the woods. That that's the reason why they are evil between those lots. You know, like the black lots that is supposed to be like all evilness, and they flow into the uh, into the woods. So I will say that um, so season two starts with. We've brought it up in the past. Agent Cooper has been shot three times. He's lying on his hotel room floor and a giant comes to speak to him. And the giant appears several times in those following nine episodes, or not several times, but a couple times. Yeah. I loved that, like that weird otherworldly kind of aspect to the story. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, there's a lot in these first nine episodes that's, just very, very, very strange, and I embraced it 100%. And I will say that I did buy Twin Peaks on DVD in like 2005, six, mm -hmm. and I watched all of season one, and I watched two or three episodes of season two, and I completely stopped. I, I yeah. lost interest. And this time, I'm completely committed. I, I want to know what happens next. And so today, I did stop at season, uh, sorry, episode nine, but I want to know what happens next. And that's very different to my experience as a 22-year-old, 23-year-old. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I... I think that the problem, I see that the quality dips a bit from the first season. Is that the first season, I think that is amazing, the kind of uh, world building that it does and how subtle it is with all the surrealist, not surrealist, but uh, supernatural aspects. And I think that it makes it like more impactful, you know, because it makes it like you don't talk about it like so much. You don't have like a five minute scene of a giant talking to a bleeding out man. It's like everything feels a bit more. Was that just weird? Was that just crazy? Or is there really something more? And on the second show, like, no, there is something more. Here you go. So, so again, I haven't seen season three. I've only seen half of season two. Of all the seasons, which one would you say you prefer? Just the in terms season. of seasons. The first season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's so. my initial reaction is that season two has a lot there. I'm willing to watch it. I, I feel compelled to watch the rest. But at this point, I feel like season two can't compare at all to season one. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's a bit of a pity. I wish that they could actually could have kept that level. Do you know, it's like maybe David Lee was just no longer interested in the project and that's whatever. Yeah, Lilan killed, killed Laura. Yeah, we're out. 
just keep throwing other stuff. What do you think of the uh, Orchid guy? The setting. I liked him. I found him interesting. I I think that they he commits suicide in like episode six or seven. I think. Yeah. And uh, I feel like they killed him off too soon. I felt like the insight that he offered into Laura Palmer was very valuable, but I don't think they used him um, properly to his fullest. Yeah, I, yeah, they could have. They could have used that to explore a lot more into the relationship she had with Laura Palmer. Um, yeah. But overall, I, I did enjoy it. I, I liked that character. And what about yeah. you? I like it too, but it's like it's exactly the same feeling that I have, and it's like a problem that I have with DC Constitution that it feels like, and we will talk about it, you know, it's like I'm maybe misremembering like how the second season keeps evolving, but that some of the arcs, they don't go anywhere. You know, it's like, for example, even on the first season, uh, how does Nadine get hurt? I don't remember. Her eye? No, 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 not her eye. It's like, when does she go into a coma? She tries to commit suicide by taking pills. And she goes That's into right. a coma and she wakes up, yeah. Yeah, 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 but it's like at least I can actually say, okay, Nadine and uh, Ed, they're not important to the story at all. Is that the only important thing that it does is going with uh, with Cooper to One Eye Jack. That's the only thing, the only important thing that he does for yeah, the progress of the story. Society, yeah. and that's how he plays into it. Yeah, but uh, there is nothing else. And for Nadine, there is nothing. Is that Nadine? It's only the story that they actually have is a complete story about like, the runners, the drive runners. Albert is stupid. He actually goes somewhere that he tries to commit suicide. That it could actually have repercussions on other characters and the likes. I feel like there are like more stories on the second season that they don't go anywhere. And I feel like the Orchid part, I feel is that you could actually could have like tried this somewhere, but it felt like you decided to just kill this character. Because I would like to just know, it's like, why did you have like so many diaries in there? Because it's not only Laura Palmer's diary, there are a lot of them in here. And you're a Sarin, who do you talk with? And that's why I'm super curious about how much involvement David Lynch had in season two. Um, because again, I, I felt like I was under the impression that he stepped away. And so I see all of these like weird like plot lines that they bring in and they just dismiss. Um, I feel like David Lynch probably had in mind a place for the Orchid guy to go, like some something significant to contribute to the plot. But then the people that inherited the project were like, oh, we don't know what to do. Let's just make him hang himself. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. And I think that actually on the first or the second episode is when Donna, well, the first episode is when Donna becomes a bad girl. And again, that's a that's a plot line that's like doesn't go anywhere. And maybe it will go someplace in the second half of season two. But it's like, oh, what? She she adopts this alternate like reality where she's like a bitch and she smokes and she she's super promiscuous. Does it go anywhere? No, no, because uh, I think that on episode nine, after they discover that uh, Madeline, what's her name? Cousin, the Laura's, Laura's cousin has been murdered. If they basically James, James and C comes back. Actually, they come back together after the Orchid guy commits suicide. James and her. And it's like C goes back to just be the same person as he was before. And we saw some of that in the in episode eight, nine. Like you could see they came back together and they're like the innocence that they were supposed to be from the beginning. Yeah. But yeah. explain to me why she, she why did she have this like alternate personality like what did it add to that i don't know there's nothing I'm, there i have no idea i feel like so confused about it did i miss something why why is she behaving like a bitch now is like i i didn't get it is that when donna was supposed to be like the good girl you know that everyone loves that is a, such a good person as like and now she becomes a bitch for four episodes or five episodes she finds solace in the orchid guy and is oh the orchid guy is out of the picture and going back with james and i'm a good girl okay but I feel like there's a hypocrisy in myself that I, I, I expect an explanation to these characters and these plot lines, whereas if I was very certain that David Lynch 
was directing this and he was in charge of the plot line, I wouldn't expect an explanation. When we watched Lost Highway, I don't care that, that nothing is resolved because I enjoy the journey. So I feel like uh, when I watch Twin Peaks season two, I'm too hard on the creators. I don't know, I don't know. Ultimately, I felt like this is just, um, it's a good show, but it's, it's a little bit unsatisfying. I, I just feel, as the first one feels like a extremely compelling mystery, I feel like this one falls apart. It has like ton of gaps and it's like just leaking water everywhere. And it's like it, the, the shape, you know, the base that you're still using for this mystery is good because the foundation was good. But like instead of actually just keeping like, I don't know how to say, like nurturing what was inside of the base is that you just went with easiest kind of perspectives that is like, okay, I'm going to be exploring these. It feels like less, uh, less polys. I agree. And, and there was one storyline that I actually had a hard time with where, uh, what is the name of the super rich guy? Is it Ben? Ben Horn. Yeah. Ben Horn. Ben Horn's daughter, I can't think of her name either. Audrey. Audrey is kidnapped and being held hostage at Ben Horn's brothel. One-Eyed Jack. One-Eyed Jack. I just felt like none of that was believable. Like, Ben Horn owns the brothel. How is she supposed to be being held hostage there? I just feel like these plot lines that are explored in season two, they're, they're weak. They have a yeah. lot of issues. They don't like stand up to any sort of scrutiny. Well, but that was that was for forcing. I would say this, and you will actually discover when you start watching the tenth episode. It was for forcing Cooper to go into the one eye jack for rescuing her, and that would have repercussions. Let's just leave it there. Yes, but also when when Agent Cooper goes and he. How would you describe what he does? He goes with Sheriff Truman and they they distract uh, the brothel workers so that they can res rescue Audrey. It also feels very unreal and that Agent Cooper could have saved her at any time. And what is Audrey even doing in the brothel after she got caught and sent home? Like, there's so much that just, it doesn't make sense. Well, I think that Ben Horn didn't have like a complete grip of what was happening from Y Jack. He was delegating a lot into the Black Rose. It was the name of the girl. Uh, a Blackie. Blackie, yes. That was yeah. It. So uh, at that point, with Jean Renault, that he was the brother of Jacks, is who was also Bill's a mentor from Kill Bill. Huh. Uma Thurman goes to track down Bill and he goes to a brothel in Mexico and she meets the guy who tells her where, where oh. Bill is. That's the same guy. Gotcha. Interesting idea, I realize. So uh, Blackie and Jan and Jan Renault, they decide to blackmail Ben Hart because Ben doesn't want anyone to know that he owns the brothel because of the, the kind of damage that could do to reputation. So, of course, 100% far-fetched that it doesn't make too much sense when you start like just analyzing what is going on there. But I I didn't have too much problem with that part until the next episode, until the 10th episode. Well, we can't talk about that. We can't. You Not know, yet. you haven't seen it yet. But <laughs> just think just just think of my words. You know, that is a okay. That's okay. That's how this progresses. So I will say that I found Josie an incredibly compelling character in season one and what they did to her in season two it's like oh no there are these like master uh crime heads in hong kong and she's they're using her yeah but they don't explain any of it and it's like this character was so interesting sheriff truman's in love with her she owns the mill catherine hates her there's so much to do there and and then they just send some like anonymous person from hong kong and was like well, you have to move back to Hong Kong now and you have to betray the sheriff, go home. Yeah. Yeah, the problem that I have with that part is I agree with you, is that given for the beginning, the first six episodes of the first season, she is like, that's an, how do you say, like a big team, you know, like being under danger. And you actually 
the kind of expected kind of a, a reaction on the audience is that they want for her, they root for her. About like nothing bad should happen for her, but she has like the support of uh, Sheriff Truman. So you're going to be expecting like she being okay. And then she turns into this kind of femme fatale about like maybe she even, she even planned the murder of her husband all for the money. We don't know that. We don't know that. Is that there is no 100% confirmation, but you know, there is an insinuation that Hank and Josie, they were the ones that they uh, planned the murder of her, of her husband. Andrew, I think that it was. Yeah. And I say, I, I can roll with that. There is a, okay, you want to do like this twist, this very noir twist, there is a, I'm fine. I like noir, that's only totally fine. But then on the second season, she goes back to being a victim. There's a, no, 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 it wasn't me. It was like really my masters that they have been manipulating me for actually doing something. And this is an excellent example where I say I do like season two, but I think there are so many wasted opportunities like Josie, like they could have turned her into a very interesting character and they didn't. And that's fine. But I think this is just an example of where we can clearly see that season two is far weaker than season one, but I don't blame the, the, the show creators. They had to all of a sudden take eight episodes and turn it into 20, how many, 24? 22, yeah. 22, so what do you do with that? Well, 22, and also that you have to resolve who killed Laura Palmer as soon as possible. So that's what you were saying. ABC was like, hey, you have to tell who killed Laura Palmer. They didn't even want that to be like the 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 season two. No. No, just think, uh, we're talking about Lost. I think that it was when we were talking about the first season. And it's like, it's another show from ABC. And it's that they wanted from the beginning to say that, just give us two more seasons. And we can just complete, we have some ideas about where we want to go. It's like, no, 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 we want this to continue nine years or as long as we actually have audience. It's like, what the fuck do we do? It's like, we never thought about like expanding this that long. And there's the thing that is like, if you go to HBO, I mean, I don't know if 1990 would have been an option for HBO, but it's like, you could actually say, that, look, we have this idea for a show that is going to last two seasons and they're going to be like okay we'll give you one and if it goes okay we'll give you a second one and yeah at that point you're not going to be like pushing you for having a third one they may give you like some uh, you know like some kind of uh help for starting a new show but it's like they would trust you for just completing the story in the second season with this one is that they basically talking is that look you have to complete who killed laura palmer and just continue the show so I, I liked, I loved season one. I liked what I've seen of season two. Uh, I love absolutely that David Lynch had a mainstream TV show. I, that will never happen again, right? But I do think that the show would have benefited from being on HBO or Showtime where David Lynch could have just done what he wanted to do without any pressure from the, the network to resolve things in a timely manner or resolve things at all. I, I think this would have been much stronger had it been on HBO, for instance. Yeah, so one of my favorite shows that it was on HBO actually is called Carnival. I don't know if you ever watched it. But it was yeah. on Carnival. Carnival. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know one. Yeah, so it was only two seasons. Funny enough, the uh, midget short person from the Red Room, the one that is dancing, is that he's one of the main characters Carnival. in Carnival. Yeah. <laughs> random connection you know but the show only lasted two seasons and it was created with the idea of lasting six and it was actually completely wow. left open and hbo i mean that's the reason what i think is like i don't think that hbo is like the best platform for this hbo decided to keep the uh, the rights because the creator daniel Nuffman, i think that it was is that he was like I would like to continue the story, maybe as a comic or whatever, but it's like, I would like to just have the rights. HBO said like, nope, never. This is ours. So, so HBO killed it. It's like, that's the reason what I'm saying. It's like HBO will give you as many seasons as you want, as long as the show is successful. Otherwise, no. And we are not going to give you your rights. So do you feel the same that if this had been on a network or a, a channel that gave you more creative freedom that this could have been better? And again, I want to say that I like this. I do. 
I just, there are some issues in season two that I can't really reconcile with my own tastes. Yeah, I think that it could have been better. Also, just in that uh, seasons on HBO, they are shorter by definition that on network TV. Is that this was going to be like another we He could have a stop a season at this point. I say like, okay, now we know who killed Laura Palmer. Now I can actually think if there is like a way of following this up that I would be interested in, or I drop it. But no, he actually had to close almost as soon as possible who killed Laura Palmer. That's the reason why I think that everything was so rush. Everything is like, okay, now everything is paranormal. Just throw like a lot of stuff. And once again, the resolution, I feel like it's a bit lazy about like, okay, now I have to remember. Now that I have my ring, I'm going to remember what Laura told me on the dream. And Laura didn't give me a hint. Laura gave me the solution on the retro. Is that she just spelled it to me? She just gave me like a post-it telling me, like, my father is the killer. That I felt is like, I don't know. At least from this perspective, if you always thought that Laura was telling you who the murderer was on the red room, at least I appreciate that it was only after 18 episodes when we had like some kind of confirmation. Because if I had to spend like five years before knowing that the whole solution, you know, was like Laura spelling it for you instead of some kind of progression towards that, I would feel like I really So, do you agree or do you not agree that this would this would have been a better show on a network that he had more creative freedom? Oh yeah, yeah. But I also think that 95% of the TV that we see out there, it could be better in a place where creators have more freedom. I recognize what you say, but I, I would disagree, for instance, with Desperate Housewives. I don't think that Desperate Housewives being on HBO would make it a better show. But in the in the case of, of Twin Peaks, I think the network pressuring him to do something kind of ruined season two. And if he had complete creative freedom, I think this would have been elevated and taken to the next step. Whereas uh, because ABC was pressuring him to solve the murder of Laura Palmer, which I think he probably knew Leland was going to be the murderer from the beginning. Yeah. And he wanted to explore that, but he wasn't given the freedom to do that. So I I feel like, did we rate season one? Because yeah, season two, I, I would rate a little bit less than season one. And um, oh shoot, there was something related to our questions that I wanted to ask you. So would you watch it again? Would you recommend it? Would you remember it? Is there anything artistic about it? Is it timeless? Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> so answer the questions. Tell me. I could watch it again. At least this part of the second season, I will watch it again. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you and I have talked about how almost everything that's spoken in Twin Peaks has some sort of meaning. So I... I completely believe that if I were to rewatch the entire series, um, I would catch things that I didn't catch in the first place. So yes, I would watch it again. Yeah, would you recommend it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is incredibly clever television. I think it's unique. I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think we've seen anything like this. And if there was something, you would be like, oh yeah, this is like Twin Peaks. I would watch it instantly. Yeah, uh, I would recommend it from the perspective of closing the loop with the first season, you know, it's not leaving like the mystery forever unresolved. You'd be almost like just saying, I don't know, like just saying like, what's a whodunit kind of murder mystery? And it's like, yeah, but the last 10 minutes are terrible. It's like, yeah, but you still want to know who killed, even if the resolution is terrible, it's like you still want to know that. And I'm not saying that this is terrible. I'm just saying that it's, a, it's at a different leak. I would say that from the first season. Can you name another television show that you think is this interesting? And I'm not saying this is the most interesting television show ever, but I do think that it... What's Carnivale? What's Carnivale? Now that you have HBO, if you are looking for something like Twin Peaks that is so interesting, is like I think that Carnivale is amazing. I did rent Carnivale one time. And I didn't watch it. I didn't watch any of it. So I haven't seen any of it, but I did have enough interest at some point to watch it. Yeah. So yeah, okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, but it's like, it's clear that it drinks from, you know, like Twin Peaks. 
It's like it's another soul from the same kind of a school. And you want okay, something. So there are other there are other shows that you find just as compelling as this. Okay. Yeah, I mean there there are many. I think that I like TV more than you do. You know, I I, I at least I think that I appreciate. I'm not saying that you don't. I'm just saying that it's like I'm more open about saying wow. that there is good TV out there of many different genres. I do think there's good TV out there. I don't watch much of it now just because of my lifestyle, but I I think there's good TV out there. I mean, huh? I in my list of to watch, I have the leftovers. I was the other one that was going to be like telling you that that's not like Twin Peaks, but it's amazing. And I will watch it, yes. Uh, I would recommend it, uh, as I said, it's, a, it's just for closing the loop at least. Uh, if I would remember, yes, I definitely remember that Leland was the killer from the first time because I knew like that scene where he goes crazy on the on the cell. That is true, that is not the most iconic scene. On the second season, but I think that it still like works like a bit of a closing the loop kind of thing, you know, of memorable. So, I don't disagree with you. I think that I will also remember the scene. I again, my jaw dropped when we found out Leland was the killer. Um, but ultimately, I I do think that season two is forgettable. I, there's there's nothing in it that was like, wow, this is incredible. In five just... years, if you were to ask me, like, tell me about season two, I would be like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think if I would remember anything else. You know, because there are like many scenes of the first season that I remember, like exactly like that. And on the second season, I didn't even remember like the five minutes of the bleeding out until it started. It's like, oh, I remember that this lasts forever. And then the giant. I remember that it was like a giant at some point. Because, and I don't like to admit this, but season two is forgettable. At, at least for me, there's nothing in there that's like, wow, this is incredible television. Again, I admit when I found out Leland was the, the murderer, I was completely shocked. I will remember that, but that took like, what, seven episodes to get there? And yeah. I don't think any seven episodes are memorable. super yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh... Do you think that there is anything artistic about this season so far? So, if you had asked me that question before you told me that David Lynch directed episodes one and two, I would say absolutely not. But because of my biases, when you told me that, I was like, oh yeah, David Lynch, is, he's hes a master. He, he took us to these places that it felt super uncomfortable. I, I feel like season two continued on with the kind of weird ideas of season one, but it didn't add anything to it. Yeah. There's nothing exceptional about the first nine episodes of season two. There's nothing. I, I, I don't think there is. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that it's a bit of a, not really like missed opportunity. It's a bit more, it's like it doesn't evolve. It's like in TV, what you expect is like from one season to another, it's like, yeah, there has to be like some kind of departure and some kind of evolution, but you need to remain like more or less, I don't know, like close to what the previous season was. The story base or sensibility base, even if we talk about like something like American Horror Story, there is like, you just change the setting, everything can change, but you still have like several elements that they repeat from the previous season. It's like, on this one, I feel like the story just went at a different pace, the characters started to lose steam, and is it from the artistic perspective, I just feel that, well, you're using the same settings as before, and you're using the same music, mostly, as before. But I didn't have, like, almost any scene that I would say that the music has been used masterfully in here. I it agree with sloppiness. you. I feel bad if we're criticizing David Lynch because he was under constraints of a network, of, of ABC, which is family friendly, blah, blah, blah. So if season two isn't memorable because of the restraints that ABC put on him, that sucks. But if you look at season two objectively, there's nothing there. There's nothing there that's new or interesting. And, and I will forget season two completely. Yeah, and, and once again, is that we're not talking about David Lynch as a creator here, is that we're talking about a specific piece of work that he did. And especially coming after a really amazing first season, that it just basically defined what modern television is. 
So yeah, and I do think this show, I do think this show completely revolutionized what television could be. I don't yeah. think there's been anything like this up until that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think there is that idea of uh, people just talking about this show. People had never talked about any other show in the same kind of way. It's like maybe soap operas, but it was not a generalized kind of mystery that everyone was just talking about, that there was no kind of negative connotation. So I think that it helped to just elevate the soap opera format, just thanks to probably the last defender that you could expect of the soap opera genre, that is David Lynch. <laughs> in this one, I just feel like, eh. And I think that this actually answers like a nice question that is like, is it a timeless piece for, sorry, a timeless piece is that for me, it's a timeless piece from the perspective that it follows up the first season and it just completes the main mystery of the first season. But otherwise, you know, if the show, if you watch a show that it starts on the first episode about like with someone bleeding out, I would feel like, sure, sure, I don't know. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think season one definitely pushed the envelope. This is like, hey, this is new. This is on network television. But season two doesn't do anything to kind of take that to the next level. Yeah, that is a pity. You know, I'm still interested, especially after seeing Mulholland Drive so many times, is that I am still really interested to see what David Lynch is going to be doing with this TV show on Netflix. would really like him to direct something new. Yeah. Uh, would you turn this into a movie? To be honest, season two, I think would have benefited from being in a two hour, two and a half hour format. I think there's so much. I honestly think that the creators of the show were trying to fill up how many? 20 hours? 20 hours of content. <laughs> there is some, there, there's some valuable content here. But I think if it had been a two and a half hour movie, it would have been stronger. Just talking about yeah. season two. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that uh, on the first season, even like the stories, once again, like the Drake Runner, that they don't matter too much, that is still interesting to watch. You still care about everything that is going on with the rest of the characters. In this one, I think that you could have dreamed like 80% of the story that you see on the screen and you will have the same story and a bit yeah. more like condensed and even more compelling to just watch. It wouldn't have affected anything. Yeah. Uh, should we score this? Should I score first? Because I think that you scored first the last time. Okay, you go. Yeah, my score is a 6.5. That's my score exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is better than your average television, 100%, but it, it's not elevated. It doesn't take the, the medium to a different level. It's just like good entertainment, but nothing more. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it's like it's not bad, but it's like I think, as I was saying, this like for me, it's two leagues below what the first season was. That is, like when it clicks, it's amazing, and it's like I feel like this one never really clicks. And the problem is that you you have a reference, you have a frame of reference about like how good this could be, and it hurts even more. Like just seeing that is like. But it's not. It's not working. It's like just lazy and sloppy. Yep. Yep. I completely agree. So, I mean, lazy and sloppy is like it's still a six point five. It's still like enjoyable to watch, you know. But it's still like it's no longer elevated. Yeah. No. It's better than average, one hundred percent. But it, it's it's just not, you know, above good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, this is an interesting thing because you could make the point that is that, well, if when you say that he pushed the envelope so hard on the first season, what can he do? Is there anything that he would do would never lead to up to expectations. But it makes me think about like TV shows that they actually their first season is not the first one. It may be like the third or the fourth one. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's not the most common thing, you know, but... <laughs> Is it from David Lynch? I would expect so, him, at least I just pull it. Yeah. We will be reviewing the last half. It's more than half, but the last half of season two in the yeah. next podcast or, or a future podcast. And we will eventually be watching season three. After watching Firewalk with me. Wait, we're going to finish season two 
watch Fire Walk With Me and then season three? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> or is it too much, man? I mean, we can stop. We can draw from this. I don't want to torture you. No, no. I, I watched Fire Walk With Me, but I had never fish, finished season two. So I would yeah. very much like to finish season two and yeah. then see what David Lynch had to say with the film. So. Yeah, definitely that's the order that we should do it, you know? Because the third season is like completely separate. Well, completely separate. It follows, but it's like 20 years later. So three episodes. Uh, related to, the t to Twin Peaks, the second half of season two. Four episodes. Four? Yeah, because the season season three is 18 episodes or 20. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Four episodes, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, today was like extraordinary kind of, well, extraordinary, no, because of the quality, never because of the quality on this podcast, but it was not a regular kind of episode. So for the next week, for the next time, we will still be watching Happy Go Lucky. That it was our last pick. By Mike Lee. Yep. Normal, happy film. Normal. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and to those people out there, thank you so much for listening to us. And wash your hands until you're vaccinated. Well, they should keep washing their hands. Always just, Always. Yeah. As always. Basic hygiene. We sponsored that here. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>